folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And I bet you're just like me and the day can't start until that first cup of coffee hits bottom. For me, it is Stout Maple, Old Smoke's Coffee's darkest roast. Strong, aromatic, and smooth that gets me firing on all eight cylinders and ready to face the day. Old Smoke's roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood, though, takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood used. Old Smokes makes a perfect roast for each person. There are five roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code TRAPPING30. That's T-R-A-P-P-I-N-G, the number 30, to save $35 on shipping for orders over $99.99 Canadian. Just go to oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com. Use the promo code TRAPPING30. Oldsmokescoffee.com. Use the promo code TRAPPING30 to save $35 on shipping for orders over $99.99 Canadian. And now, let's get to today's guest. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Rich Mellon. And today on the Scuttlebutt, we have a longtime friend and a very well-known outdoorsman from Montana, Randy Newberg. And Randy, it is awesome to be able to talk to you, especially right now during the crazy time of the virus. It's winter. I don't know if it's winter where you are, but man, it's still serious winter here and it's the 5th of April. You know what I mean? Actually, well, no, it's not. I <laughs> I, uh, I really appreciate that you'd even call me, Rich, because you must really be bored or have a you, you're at the bottom of your your bucket for for guests. No, uh, no, but, no. You're you're just so busy. Like this time of the year, usually you and I are like you know dots on a map, scraping you know streaking by one another as we're headed off to different events and everything. I just realized it's not the fifth of April; it's the seventh of April. It's like I've yeah. even lost days, but. And then I, I just got thinking, you know, like, who's not doing anything right now? I thought, well, everybody who, who's in the industry is not doing nothing. So I thought I'd call you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that because my wife is getting tired of having to talk to me. She even tells the dog, they don't, she, the dog will come over to kind of hang out with me and she'll whistle the dog over. Like, don't go talk to him. Driving <laughs> him up, man. But uh, no, winter is, I think it left here. Uh, we got five inches of snow on Sunday, and Monday morning it was, oh, I don't know, like down to single-digit Fahrenheit. But now it's supposed to get up into the 60s the next four or five days. So better be careful. We'll, we'll, we won't know what to do. We'll get sunburned and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we can get frostbite and sunburn the same day. Up <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Alberta, are you guys in these shelter in place kind of rules like we are down here in the states? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. but you know, it's just like it's like pouring. I, I, I tried to explain it to somebody, and I was explaining it to, to Sandy this morning. I said it's like it's like dumping the the gunpowder out of a cartridge, you know. And then you put a match to it. Well, that pile in the middle is going to light, but all those little grains that have rolled away from it, they're not going to light up. And that's that's what we are. We're we're one of those little grains. We're out out from where the configuration is going to happen. And and I think we've had two cases. You know, the city of Grand Prairie is is uh, where we live and work, and I think it's seventy thousand people or something like that. But we've had two cases there. They're both they both got better and 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 left. And my son is um, uh, a paramedic, critical care paramedic, and for the city of Red Deer, which is I think the third largest city in in uh, Alberta. 
mm-hmm. and they uh, they have one in ICU. That's it. You know, like I mean, it's, it's not a, a, a as big a deal. Where it's hard is uh, there's a uh, retirement home, old folks home in Calgary, and they got it. And I think I think there's been 24 deaths in Alberta, and 12 of them came from that old folks home. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, there was the death of a bunch of muskrats because of uh, shelter in place. The, well, not really the death, I should say. Not as many muskrat deaths as there could have been because I went and got my my rat trap set out, and the next day we got the shelter in place rules. Oh, so, really? Like, yeah. So I only got like one, maybe two checks, and the first day I was just out goofing off. You know how it is when you have to film something? You don't get anything oh, done. No. It's a waste of time. So the first day, I got like 12 traps set or something. And then the, the second day, I got some more set. And then they tell everyone you got to go home and be in timeout for the next month or two. So there's, I can't imagine how many muskrats are going to be on those creeks and ponds next year if I didn't thin them out this year. Well, I, you're, it's so cool that you're, you're doing it in creeks because it doesn't happen in creeks around here. Uh, you know, beaver dams, it does, but mostly it's, it's in the farm, farmlands and the, and the little ponds is where the vast majority of muskrats come from. But I, you brought up a subject that I just want to wander a little bit sideways on here. And that's, that's about how filming gets in the way of everything. And, uh-huh. you know, people don't understand. They say, well, you just film that and you should put that up. You, you should have put, put a YouTube up on that. And, and we're just a tiny little company. It's a one man band. So, I mean, I'm editing right now and I'm, I'm working on, I think, episode 10 of, of season six. And, and mm-hmm. I needed a one minute piece yesterday. So by the time I go set everything up, get the audio done and, and uh, the cameras and, you know, two shots, all that kind of stuff, that one to film that one minute took me an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can imagine if you were trying to do something like trap while you're doing that, you know what I mean? It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I wasn't allowed to bring a camera guy with because of all these shelter in place rules. So I'm out there filming myself and you know how it is. You go put the tripod up and then you run over there and then yeah. you're thinking, well, the wind is blowing. I wonder if the audio is worth a damn. And then you go over there and you listen to the audio and the headset. Oh, no, better turn the mic the other direction so the wind isn't bad. Well, you turn the, turn the camera that direction and then the sun, you, you, you know, the shadows and everything. It's like, no wonder these muskrats are so thick in here. I try to film this. I don't ever get a chance to thump any of them on the head. I I know you're preaching to the choir because I mean, where we, where we live and and where we trap, um, I have, you know, hired cameramen and that, but they they just refuse to come lots of times. It's like, are you kidding me? Do you know what the temperature is? Well, when you, (laughs) (laughs) when you start this stuff, you're, you're committed, you know, um, we have check, you know, like trap check laws for for like things like footholding and that out yep. on the out in the uh, big line it's every 48 hours uh, yep. but even on our we have no check times on our killing stuff so our snares our body grips that we have no check times on but i can't leave it out there because something will eat it you know yeah, and if, exactly. if, if if i'm going to kill it I, I i deserve to to utilize it i deserve to uh to uh not allow it to go to waste so i mean Come hell or high water, you're out there every four days, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I understand that. I, for for me, I I love chasing these muskrats, and I got too late of a start on it this year. It 
it you brought up the spring creek stuff and you know here where i live in montana just north of yellowstone we have a lot of seismic activity geothermal activity and so a lot of our creeks don't freeze they're spring creeks so they come out of the ground everything else the rivers the ponds the the lakes and reservoirs you know they've got two feet of ice on them well a lot of the muskrats when they start seeing the ice come on they head to these spring creeks they've learned that the spring creeks don't freeze and the density of muskrats in these spring creeks is embarrassing it's and they're destroying these creeks so i go out to these landowners and say hey you mind if i thin out the rodents that are ruining all your your banks here on your spring creek oh, go ahead and you'll catch two three hundred of them in a week in a three mile stretch of creek that's how oh. thick the densities are oh my but, god <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh now this time of year we we had a a thaw that came in early march and so the rivers cleared off the ice and instantly the muskrats head back to the bigger rivers once the ice goes so it's it's not like a migration you think of as animals walking across the landscape like elk migrating out of yellowstone or you know caribou going across the tundra it's muskrats migrating anywhere from three to five mile distances through the creeks that, just heading on cool. down the so that is so cool but i mean it goes right back to what you know we get a million questions and i mean we'll we'll talk about what, what you do uh regularly for for your uh, tv and that but we get so many questions about you know where do i trap how do i where should i do this on my trap line and all that and i always say and I, and I try not to be a cop out but you have to know your your trap line there is a, a, a an incredible piece of information you know knowing your trap line and knowing knowing that the how important those spring creeks are, are and, and that the muskrats will actually move there in order to to stay you know uh above above the ice for for the winter yeah. right yep and the those spring creeks the banks are the the just the water temperature and the ambient probably i would i've never done an official study of it but or research of it but i would bet the the air temperature in that first one foot of of elevation off the water surface is high enough that that's why those banks don't freeze near the water line and so what they do is those little beady eyes get there digging on the banks and they dig these pockets and they cut these shelves in underneath the banks and then they sit under there and they eat the the roots from the bottom up and then they yep. just stand there and you can watch them and they're they got their little hands up above their head digging more dirt away and then all of a sudden they stop and then they start eating more roots well, you get a hundred muskrats in a half mile stretch of creek doing that. Things go to hell in a hurry. So <laughs> uh, I, I get to to duck hunt out there every once in a while, and in November, before everything freezes over, you see a few muskrats, and then you go there the last week of December when everything's froze up, and. For the first few times, I'm thinking to myself, where in the hell did all these muskrats come from? Well, I was talking to some people who study that sort of stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, here in, in these valleys, these intermountain valleys, they'll, they like to get away from the ice because there's fresh grub to be had in those roots that they can get to right, right there at the water level on the bank. So That is fascinating. That is absolutely. So how, how do you, how do you trap them? 
Um, you, you, I don't know if you've seen my videos, Rich. We use those little fiberglass fence posts. Yes. Uh, and we push them into the mud and we got a little trap plat, trap platform there. And we use one and a half coils and a carrot, just about carrots, about five inches above the water level. And here comes that dude swimming through there. And he's thinking, you know what? That's a pretty darn looking, good looking root right there, that orange thing. <laughs> and uh, you, if you hit it right, and uh, like usually I try to get out there in February. One, the hides are perfect. Oh, they're yeah. not fighting with each other, so they're not all bit up, and uh, they're in there thick as thieves. So you, you you go do a trap check, and you put 50 traps in there, and you catch 45 muskrats. It's like, whoa, I got to get to the skinning shop here. But, uh, <laughs> is there a lot uh, of current there? No, there's not. That's one of the good parts is the, the, the headwaters of where these creeks come out usually has a lot of you know, it's like a a mountain stream up higher, but a lot of them that come out out on in our valleys and in the more flat prairie country, uh, the they're moving really really slow. There's enough current, obviously, to to make it a creek, uh, and the creeks are about oh 50 feet wide in their widest spots. Sometimes they come down to you know maybe 20 feet, 25 feet. Um, and they just meander through the prairie out there and then eventually they either dump into the river or they start losing their their uh water temperature and as they get further away from their source they do start icing up then okay. and the rats just they like the places that aren't iced up and, oh it's uh, true i mean <clears throat> we have we have uh, power plants that have you know uh, they they produce enough warm water discharge all winter long that, that ducks and geese never leave, you know, that, that, that same situation. Yeah. And then that's, that is another thing, you know, when you're trapping water trapping is these open areas, when the mallards, when you guys kick them out of Alberta and send them down here to Montana, it's like hornet's nests in these spring cricks of mallards. Well, <laughs> you have to put your trap, a little bit deeper than you expected otherwise you end up with the toe of a you know fingernail from a duck in there oh and, really <laughs> uh, yeah because they come you know how it is they come swimming over the top of it and snap it and then they get their their little fingernail in there so you, know, you quickly realize okay instead of putting it an inch below the water i'm going to put it two inches below the water and then the duck swim right over the top of it and it annoys you because the duck comes and springs you trapped and then the, here comes muskrat eats your carrot. Yeah, <laughs> do, do you know I've, I have a, a pond in my backyard, and it it actually was dug in order to 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 get the dirt to to backfill around the basement of my house. Okay. And I have muskrats in it all the time, and I have done lots and lots of I've I've set the poles up with the with the traps on them and all that kind of stuff, and I've I've done a lot of ran a lot of of, of video footage there, you know, trying to get one being actually caught right. Yeah. Do you know how often a muskrat has to go up on one of those traps and how often they stand on the jaw on the outside and that and reach up for that carrot before they actually get caught? Really? Like no. Hours of footage. <laughs> really? So how? That, that tells me how many you have there and that you probably have multiple rats at the same time going for that carrot. Oh, yeah. I've watched that before. I, yeah. I've. I've set them and thought, oh, I'm just going to see what happens. Here comes one swimming up there. He gets in the trap. 
he bails off the platform and he's down there running out of air and here comes three or four of his buddies standing on that little wire eating that carrot i've i've watched them get in the trap and sit there and eat the carrot before they decide to climb off the platform while they're in the trap it's like (laughs) how are you doing this mac well I don't know. You probably said, well, if I'm going down, I'm going down with a full belly here. But uh, Well, I've got to, uh, we have a muskrat show. Uh, episode number two is airing right now uh, this week on, on Wild TV here in Canada. And in it, I actually catch two muskrats in the same one and a half uh, foothold. No way. Yeah. Really? <laughs> wow. I have never done that. Well, that's huh. the first. <laughs> Yeah, that was the first, and, yeah. and and we've whacked a lot of muskrats. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably worth something up in your part of the world. Down here, they, I mean, since the price went to hell in what 2014 or whatever, I almost got to give them away. But oh well, you can probably average four or five bucks right now. But okay. we, uh, uh, just because of this virus and everything, it's it's been terrible. We we had a, an auction that was supposed to happen, and then they went to an online because nobody could get to it, and and I don't I don't know what ended up happening. But um, we're all sitting around, kind of waiting, and everybody's putting fur away into freezers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Some things you can't control, right? Right. No, I got a whole freezer full of beaver. I got to figure out when I'm going to decide that I want to go flesh and stretch those things. But normally this is when I'd be out hammering the beaver starting the last week of March, first week of April. I don't know. You sent me a picture of how much snow and ice you guys have there. I don't know. I'm lazy, Rich. I don't like trapping beaver through the ice. Like, well, I'll just admit, you know, I don't like doing it because it's too much work. It's a lot of work, but I actually gave up um, doing them through the ice probably the end of February. But yeah, at the time I was pulling my lynx, my lynx snares, and and um, well, I would have been middle of middle of February, I guess, was when I pulled the lynx snares. So it'd been about the end of February was the last time I I I went down south on my line and that, and it was just because it. it, it once it started snowing, it was four to six inches of snow every two, three days, four to six inches, four to six inches. And now if I, I jump off of the machine and step off the track, I'm I'm halfway between my belly button and, and, and my chest. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and before that, you know, I mean, January and, and, and early part of February, it wasn't too bad digging out around, you know, there was, there was maybe a foot of snow around the uh, a beaver house or whatever. And but then yeah. with all of this snow we got, we, we started getting wind. And up here, the wind is out of the west, the northwest, the northeast, that kind of thing, the north. Yeah. And and uh, always the first place you go on a beaver house when you're going through the ice is, is always the south exposure because that's the last yeah. place that freezes in the in the uh, fall and it's the first place it thaws in the spring, right? Yep. Well, guess when the wind's blowing out of the north, northwest, where the biggest drift is? <laughs> Yeah, on the lee side, down there on the south side. I know. Uh, so, I give uh, up, and I'm. I want to. I want to get it back out here, but I'm. I'm scared that it's going to be one of those six day springs. Now, you know, we're we're yeah. in the first week of of April, and we've got so much snow. Like, I mean, I actually plowed snow again yesterday. And, really? Oh yeah, yeah. And Ooh. when when it turns around, it's going to be a disaster, I think. But what's new in 2020 the year that was written by stephen king and and, and directed by the 
<laughs> what's what's the guy the the guy that does all the all the, the crazy uh movies um kill bill and all that what was his name oh um shit i can't i, I spaced it out yeah i did yeah. too i, I spaced uh, it out halfway through saying it <laughs> uh, quarantine's hard but, on everybody <laughs> uh, oh that's for sure did i tell you i got checked for coronavirus last week did you yeah, I was sick. I had a sore throat. And I've had my crew, I've got, you're, you're going to crack up when you hear this. I've got eight production people. Uh, in addition to being a tax accountant a little bit, I'm, I'm a really shitty accountant anymore. <laughs> uh, not that I was ever good to start with. Yeah, you weren't even I'm good even when you shitty. worked for me. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The old Toby Keith song about I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever yeah, was. Exactly. I can't even... <laughs> I wasn't even good one. So, <laughs> but, uh, so I sent everybody home three weeks ago and we've been working from home about two weeks ago. I start getting this sore throat. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, not good. Well, my doctor is a hunting buddy. So I text him, Hey, how are you hanging in there? Da, da, da. And he texts me back. Oh, I'm good. And, uh, he's like, how are you doing? I'm like, well, I got this sore throat, but I'll be fine. And, I have this weird liver condition that really causes me a lot of fits. And he, uh, he instantly says, tomorrow morning, I'm going to see you down at the viral triage because I'm working there and you better be there. So oh, wow. I wheel in there. They swab me and uh, it came back negative, though. So well, good. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. So but. crazy time. Isn't so it? That's, <laughs> it, it, it's really, really crazy. and. I don't want to make light of, you know, the, the seriousness of it, but I like to go do things that get my mind off stuff. That's why I'm just about to the point where all those beaver I have in my freezer, I'm about ready to thaw them and start fleshing. <laughs> I, are you going to have a guy I could pay $3 to flesh a beaver for me? <laughs> That's about $3 you can spend. You know what? It's it's funny because Sandy has uh, a couple times she's um, she changed jobs. She'd been uh, vice president for the Royal Bank for twenty three years, and that, and then she changed jobs. Now she's got into wealth management for a different company. They actually had a couple of days there, a better part of a week, where they where they sheltered in place, and then it was de- determined that they were essential and and where they are, their offices, they're they're not exposed to anybody and everything's being done over the phone and Skype and all that kind of stuff anyway. Right. But she discovered that she can't handle being at home. Like she's very much a, a, a very gregarious person. That's part of her. You know how, how so many people just hate picking up the phone to make a cold, cold call, that kind of stuff. She lives yeah. for that stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, wow. and she, so then after uh, this week, she comes home and, you know, she's all perky and all that. And, you know, so my, Tuesday, Wednesday of the, of the, you know, being back to a regular routine. She says, you know, maybe we should go for a drive tonight. I says, what are you talking about? She says, well, I'm concerned about you being in, here at home, you know, editing all the time in the, in the office. And, you know, you're not getting out. You're not seeing anybody. I looked at her and I started laughing. I says, this is my life, man. This is, this is me for forever. I said, even when I was running, when we were doing construction and that 98% of the time, it was just me on the uh, building on the home by myself. She says, yeah, but I'm not sure that that's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey folks rich from driving inc tv here and i bet you're just like me and the day can't start until that first cup of coffee hits bottom for me it is stout maple 
Old Smokes Coffee's Darkest Roast. Strong, aromatic, and smooth that gets me firing on all eight cylinders and ready to face the day. Old Smokes roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood, though, takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood used. Old Smokes makes a perfect roast for each person. There are five roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code TRAPPING30. That's T-R-A-P-P-I-N-G, the number 30, to save $35 on shipping for orders over $99.99 Canadian. Just go to oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com. Use the promo code TRAPPING30. Oldsmokescoffee.com. Use the promo code TRAPPING30 to save $35 on shipping for orders over $99.99 Canadian. And now, let's get to today's guest. Yeah. Well, uh, as you told me that, what my mind started thinking is, man, that's rich. He's got it figured out, you know. First, he has someone who can get him loans to get this trapping operation going. And now he made so damn much money, she had to go into the wealth management side of it. <laughs> well, two things. <laughs> two things here. One, as Sandy always said, that she works at the bank. She doesn't shop there. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing was I fired my accountant in the States. <laughs> so I had oh, money left over. <laughs> <laughs> after you got rid of that accountant down in the States, everything went really good after that. Uh, uh-huh. You know, it's... it's how many years ago did we meet, Randy? Oh, I'm trying to think. Rich, it was when you guys had just started Outdoor Quest, yep. you and TJ, and you were fishing the walleye tour some, and our buddy Jim Muzanowski had introduced oh, yeah. us. I, I would say that was like 2005 or six. No, you're wrong. Like you're wrong. It's 99. No way. 99 was the, was the uh 2000 was the last year I fished but it would have been 99 that I that that we first got in contact. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe I do have a coronavirus. <laughs> Holy cow. Moby Dick was a minnow back then. Yeah, I know. I know. Isn't uh, that crazy? You know my wife blames you and TJ for this. <sighs> So, you know what? Hey. Tell her to get in line. Lots of lots of wives blame me. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, my wife, uh, I don't know if you remember, you guys came through town. We went and had dinner and a couple beers. And when we left, my wife says, those guys have more fun than anybody I know. I'm like, well, there's a couple things to that. First of all, they get to hunt and fish a lot. Second of all, they're Canadians, and I've never met a Canadian yet who had a bad day. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Do you know what? I mean, this is a true story. I, I there have been several times uh, that TJ and I have been sitting in a bar, and I don't even drink. But we've been sitting at a bar and we'll get cut off because we're laughing so much. They figure that we're drunk off our butts and and, and shouldn't be, be being served anymore. But yeah, <laughs> yeah we do we do enjoy life uh, for for a fact. <laughs> but so here was- when I uh, when I told her in two thousand five, I said I'm going to go buy some cameras. These guys make this look like too much fun. And my son, being a camera junkie. 
and a computer junkie and everything else, he thought, boy, that's great. Let's go film each other. And uh, so we filmed each other 2005, six and seven, and then uh, ended up on Outdoor Channel in 2008. And uh, the rest is history. So I'm going to blame it on you, Rich. <laughs> so we inspired you to start your own TV show. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> you know, but I was smart enough, having been an accountant for someone who does outdoor TV, I knew how much money they made, which oh, was yeah. just about zero. Exactly. <laughs> Less than zero. It seems I had to pay a bill that, that a Canadian wasn't supposed to pay, and, <laughs> and I never got reimbursed. <laughs> Have you ever had someone come to you and say, boy, it must be nice to make a bunch of money hunting, fishing, and trapping? Oh, How yeah. How many times do you- Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if, if my wife is there when they say that, she always says, well, let me tell you something. This is the best job that he ever bought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He makes monthly payments on it. <laughs> well, I remember when we when we formed a company, a, a U.S. company, and, and you were our accountant, and this is how it all got started. And you recommended, well, then we need to have a, a, a bank account. So we we uh, I think our bank account was with Wells Fargo in your hometown. And and uh, mm-hmm. one time I crossed the border going down to the states, and I forget what I was doing. I mean, we, we were crossing all the time. And uh, my passbook for for the Wells Fargo account was was sitting on the dash of my truck. I nearly got thrown in jail over that. The the border no guard didn't think it was legal for a Canadian to have a, a U.S. bank account. <laughs> <laughs> you very nearly got a call in the middle of the night <laughs> to explain why they shouldn't be throwing my butt in jail. <laughs> well, that would have been a wasted call. I would have said, "I don't know those assholes." I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got him good. Throw him in jail. <laughs> uh, no, I would have came and posted your bail money. You know that, Rich. Yeah. But, oh, that's it's kind of weird how, uh, you know, through our buddy Jim, uh, we got to meet and kind of have somewhat parallel paths, I guess, doing this this foolishness. But uh, You were smarter than us, though. Um we were just enjoying traveling and, and everything else, but you decided to carve your own niche out with, with uh, on your on your own adventures. Uh, how did yep. you come up with that idea? This is the accountant in me, right? Okay. So, being a, in the states, we call them certified public accountants, CPAs. Up there in Canada, you guys call them chartered accountants. Yeah. Um, so. I decide I'm going to build a business plan around this, and it's a, it's sitting here on my floor still. It's over there in a folder about eight inches thick. And I concluded that in the States, anyhow, 70% of the people who hunt in the West hunt on public land, and over 90% of those people go without a guide. So I looked at all the TV shows at the time and said, well, nobody's doing public land, and no one's doing self-guided. Sounds like a place for me. So I knew I had an ugly face. I didn't have a good body. And I better do something that just by default, I don't have any competition. So that's that's how I ended up with on your own All public land and all self-guided stuff. But that's that's fascinating because what we were doing was was filming our dreams as we were going along and, and getting, you know, hunting 
we get, we're we're lucky where we live. I mean, we can hunt bighorn sheep in our backyard mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, and and uh, you know moose yeah. and elk and, and antelope and all that, that. That's a regular thing. So we we were extremely lucky for for that. But it was a lot of people's dream, you know. And, and to a certain extent, our our trapping show is is people's dream because we trap animals that you never see in the south, and and uh, you know they they dream about this living this life off the grid and that, and but none of them show up when it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> So we were, we were, you know, filming and selling the dream and, but you were filming and selling reality long before reality was popular. Well, we, we tried to think that and you'll get a kick out of this. So the first year I was on the, uh, outdoor channel and you know how it is when, uh, people, uh, how do I say this? The, the network kind of tells you what to do, right? Yeah. So, it can only be this long it's got to have commercial breaks here and there and at the time the the network did not believe in episodes where you didn't kill anything well i knew that was going to be a challenge for me because i'm not the best hunter in the world and i'm there are going to be a lot of days where i don't kill anything so we send this nevada archery mule deer hunt in to the the network and their qc group they look at it for you know did it you submit it with this and the music license blah 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 and they email me and say we noticed that you didn't kill anything in this episode we'd suggest you find a different episode i'm like "Uh oh this could be problematic (laughs) so i email them back i'm like no i want to air that and we go back and forth and they're like no you you should find something else people don't watch a lot of stuff where you don't kill anything and uh finally the programming director gets involved and uh he sends me this after we argue he sends me this email kind of like the cover your ass letter of well you can do it i guess your contract says you can but we strongly suggest against it blah 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 yeah we air it and i'm thinking to myself man if they're not going to let me air episodes that are the real thing right the reality part of we didn't kill anything yeah I'm only going to make about three or four successful episodes a year, and they're going to throw me off the network, even though I'm paying them money. Yep. So it aired, and it was one of our best episodes of the season as far as views. So I, it kind of did show me that people were looking for something that was relatable to how their day goes. You know, flat tire on the truck, got stuck, lost two days of hunting because the road washed out or, you know, whatever happens out there. And so we decided right then and there that our audience wants us to just show what happens regardless of the outcome. And so that's what we started doing in 2008. You know what? And that was that was the neat thing about it all. We have we've came at it from a different direction and a different discipline. But I mean, just showing the truth and the reality was people are fascinated with it. I mean, we got the same feedback was that you can never do trapping on TV and nobody's going to watch that. I mean, you're going to watch the same thing over and over again. You have no idea how many people will email us and say, you know, you should just be have a show where you just walk up to, to, to the different traps and, and in 30 seconds and you move on to the next one. You know, the, the collectors out there that want to see how much you catch, you know, because, I mean, you, you you have all kinds of footage that never makes it to TV because, you know, you just don't have time. But, you know, you want to you also want to have a, a some followable or, or reasonable thread for the for the episode. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I know I know what you're saying. What I always found was so fascinating, though, 
because we, we had one of those same situations where uh, we went, uh, TJ drew a, a, a tag in, in the Ponsagon in Utah. And uh, same deal, we went there and he never did find anything he wanted to put a tag on. And so we, when we went to put it to air, the same thing, we got the same feedback, right? And I said to them, I said, you have in my contract that I can't show a sleeping deer being shot, but you, you're trying to tell me I can't show where we didn't shoot anything? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, those people, uh, some of those network folks, and I don't know how it is on wild TV, but the networks down here in the States, some of those people don't hunt. Uh, it, it just causes you to shake your head. And then the audience is always saying, well, why, why, why does it always look like this? Why, do, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I always want to say, if I sent you this 30-page network production guideline book, you'd understand. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Yes. Uh, well, And it's so funny, too, because here in the North, we're pretty relaxed. And I mean, when, when, you, watch, when you watch regular cable TV anymore, there is nothing you can't see or hear on TV. There are just, there's no sacred cows anymore. There's not, you know, language yeah. or, or visuals or, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's everything. Yeah. I, I got QC on, a, on a, I think it was the second show that I sent to the Pursuit Channel down the States. Uh, we, we aired their uh, third and fourth quarter last year. And I, I sent it down there and in it, I, we've had this long going thing where you know, bears tear down the our trap boxes and that. And, and I, my, answer to it all the time is you know what we say bears are dicks right they they <laughs> they qc'd me on the word dick <laughs> no way yep and they, they they bleeped they bleeped the word dick and they uh and they 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 took it out of uh, uh out of the the um closed captioning as well <laughs> wow. wow okay uh, i won't make that mistake again that's that's their rules and and uh you know it, there's nothing wrong with 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 the uh, you know clean language and all that. I just never thought of that being a bad word. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, the, part of these constraints and confines of network agreements and their production guidelines of telling you what you can do, what you can't do, how you have to do it, right. is why I ended up going to YouTube and to Amazon Prime and. Uh, it just, I, I got tired of not being able to tell the story the way I wanted to. And I, I said, all right. I talked to my sponsors and they said, you know what, Randy, we've been waiting for some person who's been successful in the TV space to make the jump to digital. And three of my biggest sponsors signed longer term deals and doubled down on the amount of money to make sure that when we did this transition that we didn't have to worry about, Oh, are we going to run out of money? So, so you took yeah. the big jump and you, you, you run now just on YouTube and Amazon prime. Yep. And unfortunately for your Canadian listeners, Amazon prime video does not distribute in Canada. I know. It distributes in the U.S. It distributes in England, Germany, and Japan. I know we're, and this morning, I had had a couple emails from guys from Canada. I can't find you on uh, uh, Amazon. It's like, ah, dang it! I, I know uh, we we we, what, we also air on Amazon Prime in the in the U.S. 
tra- mm-hmm. trapping ink does and we're very very popular I mean, and uh the numbers are crazy it's just crazy the the, the number of minutes that, that a person turns there but we can't even get it in canada you know like i mean it, it it's odd yeah so what i do is once they've been on amazon for a week or two then we put them up on our youtube channel so that then we have a place that others can see them if they live in a country we have a ton of people from scandinavia uh canada and australia and new zealand who follow our stuff so they aren't getting the amazon prime episodes so we throw them up on our youtube channel along with all of our how-to content and other tips and information and stuff so one of the things that's got to be that has to be liberating about that is is the time constraints you're no longer cutting to 28 uh 30 you know and, and uh, including six minutes of commercials and <laughs> It, it is the it is probably the most liberating part of all of it, Rick. Yeah. That like the the mountain caribou hunt and Canada moose hunt I did up in British Columbia last year. That's forty some minutes, I think. Right. And I still feel like we could have made it longer. There's such it's just such cool country and such cool story to it. On TV, I would have had to either make that two episodes, which is really disjointing the whole flow of everything, yeah. or I would have had to cut out even more and made it the 22 minutes that the network allowed. So, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to just tell the editor, you know what, guys, let's make this story look like this and do your best and i don't care how long it is i mean we've done some on amazon prime that the network wouldn't have taken because they're only 18 19 minutes 20 minutes but if that's all the story deserves i don't want to hold the audience there while i'm you know got my thumb in my ear and (laughs) stopping at the grocery store you know know some of the things that that filler that that filler and i mean there are some shows out there that are so beautifully produced and and i won't mention their names but you know the ones i'm talking about and they have great music and and they you know people standing around a fire in the in the dark and the the wind's blowing and sparks are flying and it's got nothing to do with hunting whatsoever but they're just filling time right and right and for me one of the things that we do in canada here is where we uh get a cancom uh cancom number which is a canadian content number which the um channels here have to have a certain percentage of their of their time has to be Canadian uh, production, right? So to get yeah. this CanCom okay. number, you have to send in what your you know what your opening and closing credits and all that are. And I don't have any. And they say, "What do you mean you don't have opening and closing credits? How does anybody know who's there? Well, they can watch the show, but why don't you have opening and closing credits? Because I would lose a minute, thirty seconds on each end for for, for that, and right. I don't have the time to lose. I'm I'm trying to show you know I'm trying to tell a story here, right? You cannot yeah. believe how hard that is to make a well government employee, Chris. You, you don't understand that, but how hard it is to try and make them understand why I don't want to waste the time, you know? Right? Huh. <laughs> That's weird because I, <clears throat> that, you know, I, I, the other thing. This is probably the biggest reason why I left the network is at the end of each episode we do a time lapse of us. I call it the gutting and gilling. You know, the animal's down. It's time to start carving on it and put it into game bags and haul it out of there. So I want people to be connected to the idea that we do this for meat and then we don't leave the meat out in the field. So that's my way of doing it without the gory details. Well, the network would kick that back. And I'm like, 
you people wonder why there's the impression that we don't utilize the meat is because you won't let us show this. Yep. And finally, they relented a little bit. Uh, and I'll tell you who broke the ice on that is my buddy Steve Brunella, who does the meat eater. Right. Uh, they, the network, Sportsman's Channel, I believe, had, I, I don't know how it worked, but they were somehow in partnership. So when Steve started doing some of that in his show, I was able to tell the network, hey, you're letting Steve do it, man. So they let me do a little bit of it. But for me, that was kind of the the end of the road for me. It's like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I want people to know how I do it, where I come, uh, you know, where I come from and all this, uh, why it's important to me to do it this way and tell the story that way and why I'm kind of the weird duck I am. Uh, and if the network isn't going to let me do it, I'm going somewhere else. So <laughs> I would say the inability to show the Gettin and Gillen was the last straw for me. But, you know, the, the, the whole part of, about it, you mentioned Steve, and when you were talking earlier about, about them not wanting you to, to show a, a, an episode where you didn't kill anything, he was, he was one of the, I guess, the most visible that, that, that started making that happen, where he just decided he didn't want to shoot anything. And, and there was a lot of people lauded him for it, and he became very popular, right? And, it, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, so it's interesting what it is that people are actually looking for. I mean, we'll never, ever have the, the perfect recipe for everybody because there are people in different stages of, the, of their hunting career out there, you know, right from when, when you first get started and you're a collector and, and you know, you, you want to kill one of everything and right through to, yep. to people who are just as, as, as comfortable to be standing there watching somebody else do it or helping somebody else do it, right, you know, near, nearing the, the end of their career. But one of the things that I have always kicked against was people talking about harvesting animals. And yeah. I kill, you know, and through my career, I've, yeah. I've killed more than the Black Plague. And, you know, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> and I ain't kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no gussying that up. There's no, there's no hiding that. I kill and I kill for, for reasons, you know, and, and the food is a big deal, you know. It's, no, I, I'm completely unapologetic about it. I tell people, you know what? I killed this and I'm going to eat it. I mean, we've done two episodes on eating muskrats. <laughs> and uh, people look at us like, I'm not sure about these guys. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I grew up, we ate muskrats and beaver. And uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we trap, we ate also. Uh, yep. But I, I, I don't know. I, if there is one good part about uh, the digital space, you kind of get to identify or, or allow your own identity to be there. And you're not being packaged by somebody else where it, Trapping Inc. is a very unique content piece. If you go to networks, they try to put a wrapper on it so that rich looks and sounds on the surface, almost like everybody else, the, the end product. Right. Whereas you're, you got a unique approach, a cool story to tell. You're doing things that everybody is thinks back to, man, that guy, he's the modern day Jeremiah Johnson, man. I, I'd love to go do that. <laughs> With less <But>, hair. <laughs> if, if, if you think about how a network would take you and try to bundle that according to their sideboards, a lot of who you are and the story you're trying to tell gets washed away because of that. Yeah. So 
it's uh it's been an interesting ride and uh, as you were talking about how big amazon is when they say they have 80 million u.s households they're not kidding right i i look at my amazon analytics every morning when i get up for coffee and i just shake my head <laughs> amazon just amazon is three to four times bigger than my best year ever on tv wow and youtube is even bigger than amazon so uh well you was a, you definitely have a runaway monster on your hands like i mean how many different digital products do you produce now uh we do fresh tracks so the on your own adventures show the network and some other people talked me into renaming it after year four so year five and forward is called fresh tracks with randy newberg everyone said i needed my name in the title yeah i resisted it and then finally it's like all right you guys are the experts well I still think they were wrong, but I'm not changing back. So on Amazon, <laughs> better, better to look st stupid than indecisive, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And like Theodore Roosevelt would say, the best thing to do is the right thing. The, yeah. the second best thing is to do the wrong thing. And the worst thing to do is nothing. Uh, so I guess I'm doing the second thing, the wrong thing. Uh, but yeah, we have on Amazon Prime, it's called Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. And then our YouTube channel is Randy Newberg Hunter. And then I have uh, a podcast, Hunt Talk Radio. Randy Newberg Unfiltered is the subtitle because every once in a while I fly off the handle and get out in the weeds there. Uh, <laughs> and then I do another podcast with a guy named Corey Jacobson, world champion, I think 10 time champion elk caller. Uh, we do one called Elk Talk Radio. And then uh, I have a very large online forum called hunttalk.com. So between all those, they keep me hopping. Which would you say was the best thing for building a brand, building you know, like there's lots of people listening here and then, and they're looking up to you and, and saying, man, I'd like to do what he does. What, yeah. what would you say was the uh, best? Boy, that's a good question, right? Y'all, uh, do we have two minutes for a little background of how I decided to go to the digital space? What kind of pushed me there? What, you got I, something else to son, do while the virus is around? <laughs> There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're getting charged by the minute, I don't want you to send me a bill or something. You know, I said, oh, send the bill the other direction. But, uh, so my son, you met him when he was about 15 or 14. Um, yep. He he goes gets his undergrad in electrical computer engineering, works for General Electric for three years. 2015, he says, ah, I'm going to go get an MBA engineers are weird people man i don't want to work with engineers and i looked at him i'm like dude i'm an accountant man we wrote the book on weird people uh, so <laughs> he goes and gets his mba and does a lot of digital marketing through that program and he's the one who kind of wrote the path of how you build a digital brand that was kind of one of his projects while he is in chapel hill getting his mba and uh so that's the, the playbook we've been following. And if I had to say the what part of that was most critical to building a brand, well, that's that's a hard one. I'd say probably YouTube. 
the YouTube component just because it's YouTube has some unique features that are present in everything we do. Everything we do has to be searchable, it has to be shareable, and it has to be free. And right. some would say, well, Amazon Prime's not free. Well, most people aren't buying Amazon Prime to watch Randy Newberg on Amazon Prime. They buy Amazon Prime to get overnight delivery and free shipping and blah, blah, blah. So I, I kind of look at it as that part is free. Um, so the other thing that we learned in this process was <clears throat> we thought that we were going to send everybody from uh, our Hunt Talk Forum, everybody from our social media pages of Facebook and Instagram and everywhere. We thought we're going to funnel them all to YouTube. Doesn't work that way. We spent a couple of years banging our head on the wall. And what we've found is that people have their preferences and their habits. So if someone likes to watch on Facebook or on Amazon, you better have content where they're comfortable and where they like to be. Because if you don't put your content where they want to be, they're going to watch something else or listen to something else. That's so we have, we've changed our method of looking at it now where every trip we go on, every campaign, if you want to call it that, that we work towards uh, a story, a message, we need to end up with deliverables that can be aired on Amazon, aired on YouTube talked about on our hunt talk forum talked about on our podcasts so that we are touching people no matter where that audience exists my podcast audience a lot of them don't even care for youtube or video at all they just like to listen to long form conversation they don't want to watch anything so isn't it funny how they i mean yeah i for, for me with, with with the podcast it's when i'm driving you know yeah. you just you just you, I download a whole bunch of stuff before I leave, and, and I put my headphones on, and because I have a very basic truck, <laughs> I put I put my headphones on, and, and away I go. You know, I mean, it's like off in my own world, right? I, I'm fascinated by the growth in podcasts, and and but the number of podcasts out there, like making yourself stand out, is is something, isn't it? Like, I mean, you yeah, have been that's so awesome. successful. <clears throat> Yeah, that, that's really, to me, the hard part. And that's why when you talked to me about a podcast, you were on my list of people that I said, someday I'm going to produce podcasts for people who might not be interested in it. And you were on that list. It's like, if there's any crazy SOB I know who can make people laugh and smile <laughs> and get their mind off the troubles of the world, it is Richard Mellon. And uh Fortunately, you you jumped in and started doing your own. So uh, it, it I, there's a lot of things I think that make up uh, a good podcast. I think you got to be true to who you are. I, you and I listen to enough podcasts that we hear the kind of packaged uh, podcast of ten ways to kill a bigger buck this fall, yeah. or it's yeah. almost a walking commercial for something it, it it's almost some of it that content has almost evolved the same as what we grew to dislike about outdoor tv as viewers is yep. it all sounds the same it's it's pretty bland and to me podcasts are worthwhile if it's somebody who has a story to tell somebody who will listen to others uh, when they're having a discussion and someone who does their background research and, and brings something to the table that 
if I was going to do a podcast and talk about roller skating, I've never roller skated in my life. People would quickly sort out that, you know what, Randy's full of crap. Yeah. But you and I want to talk muskrat trapping, man. I, I hardly slept last night knowing we were going to do a podcast about muskrat trapping today. And, uh, or, or any trapping. And so I think there's, there's a ton of it out there. But I, I tell my crew, I, I, I call it static. And, and I don't mean that it's not valuable because every, everyone's going to find their audience of some place in some way. But I tell my crew, we have to sound like music among all the static because people have tons and tons of options of what they want to listen to. So how do we make our content sound like music to them? So, that's that's a very, no, very good point. Yeah. I mean, back us old folks, right, who used to roll the dial across the AM, FM thing, right, <laughs> in our truck. We used to hear, <laughs> and then all of yeah. a sudden the AM station had come on and it would be Garth Dolly from 24 hours or something, you know, and yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden it would be some country music station out of wherever. And it's like, we remember those days. The, the oh, kids yeah. today don't – people today they, they're like what do you mean but that, that's where my analogy comes from is i don't want to be the static in between everything i want to be the music uh, and and i accept that you know there are some people who just don't want to listen to what randy newberg has to say and that's great let me get you you know go find some people you do want to listen to but if you kind of grew up in the backwoods like i did up on the minnesota ontario border uh hunting fishing and trapping as you're I don't want to say livelihood because a, a seven-year-old is not responsible for the livelihood, <laughs> but it was a pretty meager existence, and a lot of this stuff was my currency. I, I was the wealthiest high schooler I knew in 1980. I was trapping Fisher and Beaver and you name it, Red Fox. I was getting 40 bucks for a red fox back in those days. 25 bucks for a good buck mink. <laughs> wow. And that was when money was worth something. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, man, those were the good old days. I, I know it sounds like grandpa talking about, right, <laughs> uphill both ways when I say that. But <laughs> it's, uh, it, it was really how I learned to get some spending money. Everybody was a logger, so in the summer – We'd go out in the woods and log. And in the winter, when the swamps froze, a lot of people would go and log. But I could make more money trapping than I could logging because my dad was such a tight ass. He'd pay you like $3 a day or something. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I, I can't catch that much trapping weasels. And uh, so that's where trapping really became the place where I spent most of my time out in the woods, which then – converted over to how much time I spent hunting. And yeah, in the summertime when you're fishing, uh, you can't really trap. But nope. it was my lifestyle. It was my identity. And I make no apologies for it. And I understand that some people aren't going to want to hear the, the tale of the world through the lens that a person like Randy Newberg has. That's fine. Okay. Go, go listen to something else. But for those of you who want to know, yeah, I was dropped on my head a few times as a child. Uh, <laughs> I was thrown on my head a few times. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, I, was, I was a typical teenager and, and listened to nobody. So. <laughs> yeah. 
and the other thing is i i was blessed rich to come from a family of really colorful storytellers um and i had some grandmothers who were characters and they would say stuff that if if your grandmother said this today in a public setting everyone would grasp their throat and hold their breath like <laughs> she said that oh my i know grandma harriet my grandma harriet she had i mean you know, she'd look at someone and say, you know what? You've mistaken me for someone who gives a shit about your hurt feelings. And she'd just keep right on saying what she had on her mind. And so I'm not quite as blunt as Grandma Harriet was. But I did. her point was, I can't concern myself with the fact that you're sensitive about this. No, no. And when did somebody's hurt feelings become the overruling concern in the world like i mean notice though well the virus is going on that none of that they we're not worried about uh, carbon dioxide we're not worried about pipelines we're not worried <laughs> about about inequality or about how many genders there are you know yeah it's it's funny yep. I, uh, my uh, <laughs> one boy you know and his wife both work in the hospital and and uh and I said, and uh, the joke came up about how only men and women were getting the virus and the other 57 genders weren't. And I, I said to him, I said, so what is that? And he says, dad, he says, there are only two genders when it comes to medical treatment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I use a lot of these old sayings that my grandmothers had. And they, I guess they, they do a couple of things. One. Back in the day, they weren't as concerned about everybody's feelings. They know they didn't go out of their way to piss people off, but there was an honesty to how they talked and what they said. So I try to try to make sure I, I stay in touch with that. Uh, and it also gives people a little bit of a background of, oh, that's why this guy is as weird as he is. No wonder, man. <laughs> oh, I, I, it just when you grow up in a town of 500 people that's out in the middle of nowhere and everybody is either a logger a truck driver or works at the mill you just it's a different life okay have, it's, it's not like you you, you just yeah. have no idea how different you are from people who live in cities do you like <laughs> you don't <laughs> until you go to college and all those big cities. <laughs> I, I can remember like i mean because I, I i went i came out of the north when i was uh I was just about eighteen years old, and and so I was going to uh, going to trade school for to. I was working towards getting my journeyman uh, certificate for uh, as a carpenter, and it was my first time away from the north. So I, I'm I'm eighteen. It was the first time I ever ate beef. You know, like I mean, we were raised in moose meat, deer, and elk. I mean, that was just that's just the way it was, right? Let me tell you. <laughs> The stuff that you would normally talk about with your buddies around the campfire or while you were eating bear or whatever did not go over big in the, in those situations. <laughs> May come as a surprise. I was not popular with women. Oh, well, here's, here's an example. I was, I'd finally worked my way into, into uh, getting a date with somebody. And uh, who I go to pick her, pick her up, and and just as as uh, we're going to go leave, her mom comes in, and you know, big cities always have feral rabbits everywhere. This feral rabbit runs out, and her mother runs over it, runs over the 
the back end of it. It's crippled and it's laying there screaming. And I, I walk over and I pick it up and they're all just horrified and everything. And I pick it up and I wring its neck. And then, of course, you know, you, know, you, you wring its neck, pull its head off and, and, and I toss it over into the flower patch, right? And, and well, that was it. I never... <laughs> never got on the date i'm sure i was on a most wanted poster after that but that was just a normal reaction for what was going on that was life that was happening right there and and that, that was my job in it you know yeah yeah those kind of things you give when you grew up in that i'll call borderline subsistence lifestyle yep you, those kind of things that's just you know what I've I've had to polish off X number of deer that have been hit by a car or, you know, I've uh, grabbed three grouse, wrung their necks and brought them home and ate them. And I don't even think anything about it. And everyone else is like, oh, we buy that stuff at the grocery store, man. You even talk about how many meals you had of roadkill. You know what I mean? Like people joke yeah. about it, about being rednecks now, but we weren't even rednecks. I mean, if, if if people somebody hit deer in front of you and I mean it's still flopping in the ditch so you go finish it off well then you'd gut it out you'd pack it up and some of it would be too bruised to, to eat you know there'd be too much too much uh, of uh, blood clot throughout it but there was a lot of it got hit the supper table you know and then people just you know to talk about it today and people are just shocked like you know like we were cavemen no this was the 1970s <laughs> yeah so I I try to make sure people get a little bit of that reality of where I come from and what my life's experiences have been that form my view of the world. And even adding more color to that, my mom has six brothers, so they have a big family. <laughs> and uh, I'm only 16 years younger than my mom. So it's quite obvious I wasn't here by design. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> By the time I was about 14 and I did the math, I'm like, hey, mom, I'm pretty sure I wasn't planned, you know, <laughs> but I appreciate you keeping me around. Uh, so her brothers, she's on the older end of the family tree, and her brothers are my age, some of them. We were college roommates and stuff. And so I include some of her brothers in our content. And the older brothers are just these salty, don't give a damn Grew up logging, you know, yeah. went over to Vietnam, came back, blah, blah, blah. And they are some of the most colorful people <laughs> you've ever met. And people just uh, on our YouTube channel, when are you going to have Uncle Larry on again? When are you going to have Uncle Mike on again? And we got to bleep them so much. Oh. Larry owns the Traveling Profanity Trophy. We just on our YouTube channel, we put up a video. He, <laughs> we're in Wyoming last fall. There's 12 out. One really nice elk, like 330-inch type elk, and then a bunch of other ones. Well, he's had chemo for 12 years, so now he's getting glaucoma from all the chemo treatment. He peeks over the rock, and I told him which one it is. Well, his peripheral vision's so bad, he doesn't see the big one. Oh, <laughs> He just, boom, and he just drops this other small one. <clears throat> And when I told him you shot the wrong one, it is a streak of bleep, 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 bleep. So we, uh, we, out on our YouTube channel, we uh, took all of Larry's cussing, not all, a, a three-minute kind of roll of his cussing. And it's so funny. Everybody is just laughing. The number of views and shares is crazy. 
But I do that because I want people to know that this is a little bit of the salty world I come from. So if occasionally something slips out of my mouth, I apologize. My wife's family doesn't cuss, so I try not to uh, uh, for I, a lot of reasons. I, I, it just slips. Yeah, I, I know. I know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm raised in 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 the north and and the, around the same kind of people you were. I ran construction crews for for years. I have I have a a mouth that could make the devil blush, and then <laughs> then, then you put me on TV. <laughs> yeah, my wife yeah. says, you know, you you're you. She says sometimes I think you're borderline psychopathic or something because she says you can flip that switch and never screw up you know <laughs> but i was being interviewed one morning by a fellow on it was a very big um cj cj cg c uh cjac or something like that in calgary very popular radio station so we were doing the sportsman show and so we're down there being interviewed and uh, mm-hmm. it was really funny tj tell you the story because you know we, we've got to go down to this this radio station we're sitting outside to you know do her talk and it's very early in the morning and some guy walks out and he's he looks like uh he turns out he was Samoan but that's what he looks like he's got the the shirt on and everything very very big man and and he's maybe 22 23 years old and he's got the the, the Samoan beard and all that and you know this this is February in Calgary like you couldn't be out of more more out of place if you tried right and he, he's leaving the the room that we're supposed to go into the, the this uh to to do the the interview and he turns around and he, with the door open. He says, "Hey, the two old dudes from the Sportsman Show are here to talk to you." <laughs> and this is this is like fifteen years ago, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it crushed TJ pretty hard. Uh, I I didn't have any worries with it, but it crushed him pretty hard. Uh, he was one of the old dudes. I got even by talking about having a, a built-in vacuum on the on the houseboat to to one of the ladies that was interviewing us, which got us in a whole bunch of trouble. But that's another story. But <laughs> Jerry, the guy who was doing the interviewing, and he's this online guy, and he's just he can talk a thousand words a minute. Well, when he's off, when that light is off, every word is F. And I mean, and he really? he used it as a as a noun, a verb, an adverb, an adjective, everything, like yeah. everything. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm going, "Don't say F, don't say F, don't say." F. This is what's going on in my head, right? And he flipped the switch, and he'd go on and on and on. I'm, I'm like half a step off on this whole conversation because I'm worried about what I'm going to say when I open my mouth, you know? <laughs> this guy, is, he, he had a he had a firewall inside his brain that when, when the light was on, this was one side that worked, and the light was off to the other side worked. It was just it, most distracting thing ever. <laughs> Uh, I can relate to that. I think my my switch has been developed over 31 years of marriage to a woman whose family does not cuss. Oh. And so <laughs> I come from this world where kind of like the guy you were talking about, my mom's family, oh my goodness, they, it's it's an art form. And <laughs> so I hang out with them and I kind of revert back to those. And then I come home and I got to turn the switch off. And then when my crew and I are out in the hills, I've got a couple camera guys where it's like, did you take cussing as one of your college <laughs> minors here? What are you? You light it up, man. And then I fall into that trip a little bit. And then when I see the red light on the camera, it's like, uh-oh, none of that, Randy. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I guess how we got to that point is my my feeling that if, you're going to be 
a a worthwhile person that tells stories and whether it's story through video or print or podcast i think you kind of got to be a little bit of who you are and don't worry about someone doesn't like who you are i don't that was the one thing that we learned and for years like i mean we were involved in outdoor quest and tj still still running outdoor quest but we were involved in it for 18 years 19 years something like that 18 years before wow. before we 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 gave it to him and and went forward with with just with traffic inc and there was you know different formats that came up all over all that time right where the, you know the talking head in the studio with the you know on the black screen and and telling a story and and you know the the, the high productions and everything shot off of um off a tripod and that and but that wasn't us and since we got into uh the trapping show and one of the things that tj always was a damnant like he was very old school he was into tv before i was and so he was very old school he worked actually for um produced a, a fishing show for a, a major network in canada so he says, everybody knows the cameraman is there, but you never talk to him. You know, the cameraman never talks back to you. And, I, and to me, that was always wrong. You know, like, yeah. I mean, if I you weren't talking to the cameraman, I mean, uh, who were you talking to really? To me, it was kind of, kind of phony. It was like the days of, uh, of the hunting shows where, you know, the, the cameraman was between the hunter and the, and the animal, you know, you'd watch him stalking forward and you'd see him aiming at a lot. You know, I was like, it's like, Really? Come on, you guys. You all hunt. You know what's going on here. This is all reenacted, right? This is all BS. And <laughs> so when once we started, you know, trapping ink and, and it, it took off because right away it was all mine. It was all my format. I didn't care what anybody thought. I kind of started it to get in a fight. And it was just us. So I had the best gig in the world, other than I had to watch my swearing. You're you're getting us pretty raw and unfiltered, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> well it's I, I i don't know how else to do it or how to be anyone other than i am and uh i i don't have all the answers to the world but i do know that i try to smile i try to have a good time uh times like this that we're going through i hope that people think about uh what what can get my mind off things but you know what take me somewhere where my daily life doesn't take me uh i i purposefully try to have our content designed to do that and i laugh uh you know my my great grandmother uh when my parents got divorced when i was 11 and i was kind of going through a funk she would say, Randy, smile. You got a lot to smile about. And so smiling and laughing kind of became a little bit of my way of dealing with things. Yeah. And it's what I brought with me as an adult of, you know what? When all else fails, smile, laugh, crack a joke, do something. Because it can always be worse. And, uh, it, you know. That's just the way I do it. So, I, and I understand some other people, you know, every day's, you know, walking out to the mailbox to get the, the newspaper is a life or death kind of, that's the gravity they put to everything they do in their life. And that's fine, but I'm not, I'm not your guy. So. No, you know, and it, and it's really strange because there's, there's 
couple things there. One, my wife always says, and Sandy is a, is a wise woman, her only dis- disability in life is being married to me, but she'll, she always <laughs> says that, that you can't you can't control what's coming at you. You can't control the world. You can't control what's going to happen. She says, the only thing you can control is how you react to it. And that's like, no, yeah. oh, you're right. You're so wise. See, it's a good thing I got her drunk, yeah. got her married. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that, that I've noticed, I, I, I had God's my witness. I never knew how much I laughed. I never knew how much really? I laughed. I never oh, did. You Everybody I know, right? I know. And, and it, was, it wasn't until I started, you know, I was started editing myself. And especially when we got into trapping is I'm having so goddamn much fun. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such, it's such a, a relaxing time. I mean, even though it's, it's work while you're there, you can't believe the stress that, well, you would, you, you know, the stress that bleeds off you. You're, you're there, you're, you're enjoying life. But I had no idea how much I laughed. If I, if, if I would have been editing somebody outside, I thought the guy was simple. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously I know I'm not, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I appreciate it. I suspect most of your listeners and viewers appreciate it, would be my guess. Well, it's uh, funny because I will be Costco or wherever and Sandy and I'll be there and I'll laugh. And you'll watch people whip their heads whip around and look at you and then they come up and hey, I know you. And well, until I laughed, they didn't know who I was. <laughs> I guess it's <laughs> I guess it's better than being known for the, the other way. Uh, my wife uh, was yeah. dealing with some clients the yeah. other day and and uh, she, she's new in this role. So she's being introduced to everybody and as part of her training and all. And, and uh, the, when the, her uh, boss introduced her and, and said, well, you know, they mentioned the TV show and the guy looked at her, she says, I, I know you, you're, you're, you're with the, the ball guy. <laughs> <laughs> As soon as I struggle to describe you, I know that the bald, the word bald's coming out. <laughs> In the summertime, do you ever get a chance to do much fishing anymore like you did before, Rich? We we uh, have a, a little local lake that we go walleye fishing on. I don't have much of a boat anymore. I dearly love... Uh, you know, do you know what? This is true. There's probably... There's not a month goes by that I don't dream about walleye tournament fishing. You know, really? I, I will be back out. I'll be on a tournament somewhere. I, I don't do well. Like, like, I mean, I never did, you know, <laughs> but, but it's, it, it, so it's pretty true to life dreaming, but, but I'm still, I'm back out uh, walleye fishing. That was very, um, a very major signpost in my life for, for, for whatever reason. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll give a shout out to, have you ever watched the, the, uh, on YouTube called 39 hours? No, do it. It'll be, it is the most interesting fishing ever. And what it is, is they have different teams and one's in Saskatchewan, one's in Manitoba, one's in Ontario, one, one's in Michigan, I believe. And they have 39 hours and they go out and whoever can catch the biggest fish of each species. Okay. And they can knock one another off. So it's a very different kind of tournament. It is the most fascinating you'll ever watch. And it is, it is the most exciting, you know, and they've, they've had two, three three years of it now or two years of it uh it, it, it anyway when it comes to watching youtube and, and and watching fishing like i mean i love fishing watching it is tough this is really interesting it's it, it's really yeah. cool but do you get to, to fish much uh 
I have to as a function of my marriage. Oh. <laughs> in, in my life, she, if we don't fish walleyes for a significant portion of the summer, she's like, well, I guess you just aren't going to hunt that much this fall. Like, whoa. So, really? Oh, yeah. oh you awesome. should see her boat. Uh, the other day, I come home. And there's a bunch of fishing rods in a, one of those big shipping tubes leaned against the outside of the house. I'm like, what the hell? I didn't order anything. <laughs> well, we, we have this Cabela's card that we purposefully put a bunch of stuff on there and pay it off every month so that we get all these free points. Well, she's out buying like fishing rod number 86 and 87 <laughs> she, she got more fishing reels she just went and got the new hummingbird color what it looks like a tv screen i i'm still trying to figure out how to run most of it but they are fascinating it, the, the it, new it, yeah i mean it just guys come over to my shop and they're like oh randy great boat man i'm like not mine it's my wife's her name's on the title. I mean, it's like, so, all right. I just back up the truck, and she says, well, we're going to Fort Peck, or we're going wherever, and uh, I smile the whole way. <laughs> That's so. awesome, that is. <laughs> it's like it's like my yeah. wife saying, well, let's go to Africa for another month. I want to go hunting. You know, I, I love that. So, <laughs> yeah. Is, 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 she, is Fort she, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. She, she purposefully – make sure that we have someone who does the lawn in the summer because she doesn't want lawn care and BS like that disrupting our fishing trips. <laughs> so <laughs> so is Fort Peck the, the, the major destination still? Yeah, it is for us. It's, you know, how it is, you kind of get in a groove, you get a little lazy about, okay, it's June. I know I should go to this part of the lake. It's August. I should go to this part of the lake. Are they going to be here or there? Okay. The water level is this way. Oh, All right. Wow. That means we're out, whatever. So after having fished it for 20 years, it just, I'm just too lazy to want to go relearn something else. How is it I, fishing? How is it fishing now? really really good you know we've we had some really high water flows in 2010 11 and then again in 2016 17 and then again last year so and you know how those reservoirs are you get oh, those fluctuations yeah. of water and when you get that flooding back there and all that brush and sage and stuff it just creates a boom of bait fish that's unbelievable and it's actually tough fishing for the first year or two after that because there's so much bait around, but the the fish numbers just respond tremendously. So well, right now, it, it's it's crazy. You go to Fort Peck or any of the reservoirs up in that part of the state, and the number of 8 to 15-pound northern pike, they annoy the living hell out of you yeah. when you're trying to catch walleyes. And yeah. I know some people say, oh, well, they're fun to catch. Well, they kind of are, <clears throat> other than my wife doesn't like them in the boat. Get that snot rocket slimy thing out of here. So I'm there trying to keep this 12-pound northern not in the boat, you know, trying to untangle a bunch of crankbaits that he rolled around in the net. And it's like, oh, I hate these damn things. But, I've I so. fished, what, three different tournaments on Fort Peck. And that's all the fishing I've done other than pre-fishing there. But each one of them was so remarkable in its own way. I had the very first one I had one up the dry arm. 
And then we had a tornado go through the night before. And I spent two days trying to make it still go. Do you know the area? Way up the dry arm. Now, this is when there was a lot of water there. Up the dry arm where there was there was a, um, oh, it's it, not really a sunken island, but it was a big 14-foot deep flat. And it had weeds on it. And it was almost, the the fish collection station was past it. Okay? You know what I'm talking yep. about, right? Okay. But yep. That big, that big. By that time you get up there. Okay. Well, that big flat up there, I was there one night in, in pre-fish, two days before the, the tournament started. And I, uh, these fish are, are, are jumping and a lot of them are smallmouth, right? There's some really nice smallmouth there. And uh, I don't, don't know why, but I was, I threw on some cranks and I drug out across these weeds and you can only, the weeds ended about, you know, six feet down. And all of a sudden I started pounding big walleye. And it was just the, the, the most stupid place for it to be, right? But you'd also have those big pike hit. And, and, and you know, I, I caught one pike that I had, you know, your, your rods are out there. there. I had a guy with me, so we had four rods going. And, and uh, the outside rod goes, the, the, the middle right behind goes, and the, the middle off to the left goes and, and uh, bring it in. And, and here's it's one pike, and he's got all three crankbaits in his mouth, right? <laughs> he'd sheared the other two off that fast and you know how quick they they can take care of fire line right but yeah, yeah. i had i i was i was catching i, I was pulling like a a nine pound average you know on on the wall like above those weeds and then that big storm comes through and it's all over and i struggled up there for two days and did nothing and then i ran to snow creek the on the third day and i came in i think Ooh. with the second biggest weight or something like 56 pounds you know it, but, That's a long haul from dam to Snow Creek. Yep, from uh, up oh, to Snow shit. Creek. Yeah, and we. Uh, <laughs> what the heck? Oh, that was when the when the they had the reward on for the biggest fish, and uh, yeah, I think ten pounds or whatever. And uh, Captain Cook ended up breaking the biggest fish there, but I had a bigger one on, and and my my guy knocked it off of the net. He he just he got into had a heart attack or whatever and, and and he knocked it off but we were we were really shallow we were pulling right in those in uh through the um uh the sweet clover and that kind of stuff right you know we were really really shallow and but just the first pull through like sat down and got all four rods out and the first pull on the on this 150 yard stretch that we were fishing and i had about 40 pounds in the in in the live well <laughs> you know <laughs> The kind of day uh, you dream about, but yeah, I, I love Fort Peck. I, I, man, I'll come back and go fishing. With, I'll take your wife fishing. You can go hunting. <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe she always tells me, you know, if ever you leave me, I think really what she means is if ever I leave you. Uh, <laughs> she's like, I got a really cool walleye boat. That is the envy of a lot of people. I'm like, yeah, I know, and it always brings me back to. <laughs> I worked in the sawmill when I first met her and yeah. we were dating and this old guy don bowman he was the millwright in the sawmill and uh <laughs> he says randy i've seen her and i've seen you i've listened to you talk and i've listened to her talk just remember this because we were getting married that weekend he said there's <laughs> nothing she couldn't replace by noon the next morning he said you bring nothing to the table that she couldn't replace by noon the next morning I'm like, Damn, Don. <laughs> he was uh, your best yeah. man. <laughs> no, we we eloped, but uh, he knew we were were eloping, and uh, uh, I kind of put it in perspective for me. And now that she's got a big fancy walleye boat with all kinds of other stuff, 
Yeah, I, I think yeah. I'm I'm off the tubes. Yeah, oh, I, I better be careful. I freely admit I'm Sandy's only blonde moment in life, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that she loves hunting and trapping and fishing and and that kind of stuff here there are it, it goes it isn't a, a day goes by that people don't ask if she has a sister you know what i mean <laughs> we, yeah. you, you know people talk about karma and how but they always talk about it in the negative way how it's going to come around and haunt you i don't know what or who yeah. i was in the last life but i was really good and now i'm reaping the, the rewards <laughs> in this life right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, how long have you and Sandy been married, Rich? Be forty-one years this fall. Holy cow! You guys are way out in front of us. I, <laughs> we've only been married thirty-one, and I told well, her, you know what? When I think it was like our twentieth anniversary, I said, "Okay, honey, you need to understand that my my money back guarantee was for twenty years." <laughs> Once we cross this twenty-year threshold, you, there's no money-back guarantee. You're just stuck with me, okay? That's just how it is. Yeah. So, in our house, we, we we refer to it as the the anchor rusted to the boat a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Well, we, we haven't covered much trapping stuff. What the heck? Well, All we I got just... into a little trapping how was the trap line last winter it was really good it was really good uh the martin numbers are up you gotta understand when we have our trap lines here uh there's two different kinds of trap lines here this is registered trap line which you purchase and that gives you exclusive area or exclusive rights to a, a certain area of public land okay so i'm the only yeah. one that can trap there i have no other rights other than that i can trap there and i can have my cabins there right and yeah. but I have 144 square miles. I've got four townships that that, that I have exclusive rights oh. to, and then we have what's called residential trapping uh, licenses, which means on private land. So any of the private land, then you, you get a residential license for. And the vast majority of muskrats and coyotes come off of residential land, uh, just hmm. because coyotes live in the in the farmland and muskrats live in all those those ponds. It's a tough life in the big bush for for coyotes and because uh, of because of wolves and for muskrats oh, because yeah. of you know like things like mink and otter it's you know it make, makes it so so tough for them right so yeah when we, when you have a registered trap line we have some quota animals that you have which means that there's a certain amount a maximum amount you can catch of each one of them and what that means when, uh, for instance, on my on my fisher, they say that uh, I'm allowed 18 fisher a, a, a season, but that is from, you know, trapping all of my 144 square miles and trapping it for the full season. I should, you know, should come up with 18. Most people don't understand that. You know, they, they think when they go out trapping and they, and they say, oh, you know, just wasn't as good this year you only caught only caught seven martin and then you start talking with them and you find out that they had 20 boxes out and they and they put them out on a, on friday when they go to the trap line and they pick them up on on sunday when they go home and i'm thinking damn you've got a lot of martin and they don't realize it right they don't realize that you know i'll have a at any one time i have about 140 uh, baited martin traps out there you know and and they stay out there from the first of november to to the end of january which is when my season ends and I cover that whole 144 square miles. I trap hard. Okay. That's just me. That's, that's as ingrained yeah. in me as, as you don't do anything halfway. Right. And yeah. uh, so when I 
look at this stuff and people talk about, well, the trappers can overtrap and all that. And I, and I think, you know, humans have been around for forever. Humans have been part of the balance of nature for forever. And I think it's very egotistical to say that we make a big difference. Uh, you know, it was one thing when we were using punt guns on, on, um, on, for a table, you know, har harvesting for, uh, ducks for for uh, commercial sale and that that was that was you know those kind of situations you you can make a difference but but when you take a look at what I'm doing there I and I have if you look at that 144 square miles and if I have a trap every half mile square you know what I mean that that that's a huge amount of area that 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 is not being touched and I mean it happens all the time where you have tracks that come within 50 feet of of a uh, of a set or even closer, but because of the wind or whatever, they just started to just, they go by, you know? So when I take a look at that and I, and I trap hard, I do not waste any time. I'm, I'm using, utilizing all of the land and all of the time and that, and the harder I trap, the more my, my Martin numbers go up. And it's funny what happens to your populations. Like my links, when I took over this trap line, uh, six, seven years ago now, all my links, every links I caught was big. Like it was, and a lot of people know, have no idea how big, how big the links can be. They, they look a lot more than, than what they are. A giant lynx weighs 30 pounds. So anything that's, you know, for a male, that's 25 pounds to 30 pounds. That's a, that's a very large, you're, you're getting, you know, double XL, uh, links, right. And yeah. all of my links were big and old. Okay. And that's really a, a strange place to be because you don't have a balanced population at that point. With carnivores, with predators, they eat the young of the year. They eat everything uh, for various reasons. I mean, whether it's to bring her back into heat so they can breed or just because that's the food that's there. So as you, your trapping goes on, now my numbers of lynx have gone up, but now I'm catching kittens, I'm catching young, I'm catching, catching medium size and big ones. You know, and it's the same thing now with, with the Martin. My Martin were all in one little corner of, of, of that trap line, of the 144 square miles. I could take, uh, you know, 30 Martin out of about three square miles. You know, and it was it was just because that there was all these other predators that were there that were, were uh, uh, eating them. I mean, everything eats a Martin. I mean, I've had yeah. hawks and owls eat them. <laughs> right up there with rabbits and everything else. And it all goes by, it all goes by size, right? The smaller you are, the more likely you are to be eight. It don't matter how bad you taste or anything else, you know. But I've I've been really because there's been so much of this, you know, we're we're damaging the the wildlife, that kind of stuff. So I pay a lot of attention to it. And being in the outdoors and the outdoor media and that kind of stuff, uh, we get a lot of questions. So I have purposely gone very hard at all of this i've tried to manage everything and to me manage has, has just been trap as hard as i can and, and see see what happens my martin numbers are going up my my age structures throughout my populations is is uh is starting to spread out uh, all of a sudden I've, i'm getting animals that are moving all around the trap line where they, you know, they used to be all down in one little corner. Now they're now i have them all over the trap line you know all the, so they're, they're spreading out their area have now, here's the other side. It would be egotistical to say that what I'm doing has any effect in that, right? So am I just, mm -hmm. am I just you know, there as an observer of, of what happens to nature all the time? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's confusing to think of it that way. But yeah, long story short, that was a pretty good year. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, I whenever I have a time where I'm just wanting to get away from the world, I'm thinking someday I just need to call Rich and ask if he needs someone to come up there and split firewood for the cabin or something and help him. I, you probably wouldn't want to trust me with the knife skin and your valuable furs, but I could, you know, maybe do something. I don't know what it would be. I'm I'm of just about no value according to my wife and my employees. So uh, <laughs> I, I dream about what you do. And I just, you know, a kid growing up trapping and how much I enjoy trapping for someone who gets to do it as much as you are. Uh, I'll just tell you, I'm jealous. Okay. Oh, welcome. What is what, one of the commandments? Thou shall not covet thy neighbor. Well, guess what? Yeah. I, I, envy, I envy my friend Rich because he is out there doing what you need I've to often. come. You, you need you need to come up. Like, uh, I don't know what your schedule like, but like early December or late November are really really good times. Um, yeah. Just because and. and Early December, because then that's when when links and, and otter are also open and, and we get going. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, all the weasels and that open the first of November, but but yeah, early December is a, is a great time. You know what it would what, would it be like? It would be because here's the cool part. I would like to see it through your eyes because there is so uh-huh. we get so many complaints from people. You show it, you you know, you you, sh- you do it too quick. You, you you make it look too easy. What what about this? What about that? And I don't never think of that stuff because. Most of that stuff is muscle memory. It's like I had a guy. Yep. Uh, we did a, um, a um, Jeff uh, Varvel from from Alaska. We did a, a podcast with him recently, and he says, "You know, you inspired me to get back into trapping." He says, "And he says I got some of these body grip things. These these Connie bears, he calls them." <laughs> and he says, he says "That's like a, a Japanese finger puzzle." He says, "I didn't know how to set it. You need to show how to set it." <laughs> and I'm like. You know, you don't even think about what you're doing. You know, you're not even looking at what you're doing. I have lots of people that will, will send me an email and say, I watched your show here. And you, when you set that back up after taking that fisher out, you did not take the safeties off that trap. And I was like, I guarantee I did because I've never, you know, never since I was 12 forgot to take them off. But you don't even think about yeah. it. You know, it's muscle memory and that. But I would really like somebody like you, especially with your background now with with TV and that, to be there to look and see what it is we're missing to show, you know. That would be that would be really cool, man. You want to do that? I'd love to do that. And uh, and a, I guess an example or a parallel to that is I have on my crew a couple of my camera guys who don't hunt or didn't hunt. They're getting into it now. But back to your point of you just take for granted this muscle memory. Well, everybody knows that, or everybody does that. Yep. They do such a great job of slowing me down and saying, Randy. Not everybody knows why you are approaching it from this direction, why you're not just barging right in there when that elk is bedded. Why? Tell the audience why you're doing what. Why are we doing it this way? That's exactly. Yep. That's exactly what I need. And, 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 you know, you have situations where stuff happens. You talked about being stuck and, and that kind of stuff. Well, I never even think about filming any of that because that's just part of the the gig and and actually in in a way it's kind of embarrassing that you you manage to get stuck so so you want to you you want to clean it up and get on on with the day because you have a kind of a script running on your head and the script is all happy times right (laughs) yeah (laughs) but well i for me i'm very thankful to have some crew members who will just remind me randy 
I've only been doing this three years. You've been doing it 40. Okay, slow down. Tell me so I can film and get the the message for the audience what's going through your mind. Because when you're trapping rich, think about all of the stuff. When you're just walking out to a set or getting ready to make a set, how many things you've processed in the last five minutes that you, you the, the audience would have never dreamed how much information you've processed to decide I'm going to make this kind of set at this location with this trap for this species. Yeah. Yeah. Based on how much snow is there, what the temperatures are going to be, or, you know, the, the list of things you're processing is so, I mean, we, we'd spend two hours just talking about half of it and you, your audience is intrigued by what you do because they're trying to figure out how is rich coming up with this end decision when he started here what got him to there and you're just oblivious to it because you're like well i know the wind's going to come out of the northwest yeah. and i know that the coyote is going to come in this direction if the wind's normally out of the northwest and i know that he's going to follow this path because the snow isn't as deep there and blah, blah. you're thinking about all that but your audience has no idea that all that's going through your head and you're you're not standing there thinking about each of those items for five minutes. No, no. You're, you're thinking about it two seconds. Absolutely. I, and the worst part is you're not thinking about it. You just know it. Because yeah. <laughs> if I was yeah. thinking about yeah. it, I, I, God knows I'd open my mouth and say something, right? <laughs> but if I ever slow down yeah. enough to actually be thinking about something, that's when I start talking. And yeah. And I say to Sandy, that's always the dangerous part because I never know what's going to fall out when I open my mouth. But you're, <laughs> you're right. But that's that's the kind of thing that I, I've said to Sandy that we need. You know, because she says to me, you know, somebody sends us an email and says, you know, you need to show how to uh, how to set a trap. And, I, and and she says, well, they're right, you know. And I says, well, you know, what else do we need to show? And that's the whole problem is that we do it so intuitively and and. Yeah, it's I, I need somebody who has a different view and, and, and they ask to wonder why. That's probably the neat part about going someplace where it's totally foreign. Like, do you ever, when you go someplace that you've never hunted before, like when we go to, to Africa and how things are so different there, I like to think about, you know, I, I tell them all the time, I got to see this through your eyes. And that's, the, and that's what you're looking for is, is the ability to see it through their eyes. And sometimes when you're, you're spotting sheep, especially, right? Sheep or, or coos deer, I understand, are very, very hard to see as well. But yeah. you got to you got to get a balance in there. You got to see, you know, what does the average bighorn sheep look like in amongst this kind of a structure? And that, you know, am I looking at too small things? Am I looking at too big things? You need to get that proportion going on, right? And yep, that's that's probably one of the biggest weaknesses. That's that's where you you have an advantage by having having some people around. Like I say, we we have a hard time getting people to come out regularly <laughs> if I, came out, I, I would offer to run a camera but you wouldn't want me to trust me i've <laughs> i've had that job a time or two and my crew purpose they pretty much hand me a little handy cam or a gopro that is set on auto and say here you can handle that and uh, i'm like all right i i get it i i've tried you guys get paid. I've trained cameramen like you. The first thing I ask is, which finger do you use to, for the zoom button? They show me and I break it. Then we don't have any problems. 
boy, isn't that the truth? My crew says, Randy, you're way handier with a camera than you let on to be. Yeah. But that's my approach in life. I don't want to let on that I, like my wife, I don't want her to know that I can cut firewood or I can fix the plumbing or fix the dryer. Because guess what? That's what she's going to want me to do the next time the dryer breaks down and I want to go fishing. Yeah, you so, never, never sit next to the door when you're in farming country, right? <laughs> exactly. Don't ever let anyone know that you have a certain capability because then you get kind of pigeonholed into being that dude. And I, I don't want to be that dude. So, I, uh, yeah, filming, I can do it, but I'd prefer not to. I'd I'd rather skin all your critters or flesh them or whatever than to film you. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't take that away, but I just, I'm 55 years old. I want to do the fun thing. I don't want to do this stuff that's work. No, we we, yeah. we end up doing a lot of a lot of stuff off of tripods. So when you were talking earlier about about the tripods and that kind of stuff, just because you get in situations where you know our schedules are very very loose and other people's aren't as as loose, so you know you end up being in many times where you do not have a cameraman available, or they just don't want to go out in that weather. And, and you know, some people yeah. they they're just as excited to go every day that you are, and other people it's like the second or third time is like, okay, I've had enough of this, you know. Um, it, it's a funny thing that you need somebody who is so technical and have such an ability with that camera and with the audio and that kind of stuff. And yet they have very little interest in what they're, they're filming. They, they would be just as, as interested in that camera and the levels and the audio is not filming paint drying as they are filming you hunting elk, you know? <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you had a good trapping season. When you, when you have a, I'll call it your own trapping territory, do you have to report your catch each year to oh, the government agencies or anything, or is it just up to you to manage how that works? Well, there's two things that go on. Uh, our quota animals have to be tagged. So yep. do you remember the days of the old metal tag? Or maybe you guys still use metal tags. I don't know. We still have them in some species. Okay, well, we we use metal tags for for these quote animals. So within thirty days of of a season ending uh, for that animal, you have to take it into either a, a government office or to some of the uh, uh, some of the trap supply stores will do it as well, and some fur buyers will do it. But they they will register the animal and, and put a tag in it for you. And so each one of the of these four quota animals, the otter, fisher lynx and and uh, wolverine have to have to be tagged you have a, a so a, there's a special report that goes in for your quota animals but then you also have to do a fur report every year too and that covers everything so you may be uh, doing a report for your resident license and you may be doing a report for your uh, registered uh, trapping area right but yeah it's it's one of those things i'm actually uh, you were talking about talking with the governor while well, i've been talking with the premier and and the uh the uh, deputy premier who happens to also be our minister in charge of fish and wildlife and that. And I'm trying to get rid of things like quota and things like regist uh, the registration of, of stuff. One thing, they brought in quota probably 30 years ago in the 80s. And yeah. that's even longer. But they've never changed it. The number of quota that I've have been allowed has never changed for this trap line in all of that time. So either it's way too high or it has no bearing in in any reality, right? 
you know, and, and yeah. especially like with things like lynx, you know, they, they follow the, the lynx population is two years behind the rabbit population, the snowshoe hare. And yeah. so they, they, and there's nothing just like you must've been someplace where the snowshoe hare have, where, where they hit their big population, they're, they're they yeah. just explode. There's there's nothing you can yeah. do to control that, is there? Nope. There's nothing. No. <laughs> it's all just cyclical. Yeah, absolutely. We and we've seen the same thing happen in in, uh, in South Africa. And that's the same thing that happens with like the Impala. The Impala breed over 28 days. Okay. They they're constantly coming in, in cycles in, in over 28 days, the breeding and the fighting and everything goes on. When it comes time to be born, every one of those mothers gives birth in a 24 hour period even though they wow. might have been bred 28 days apart. But that's nature's way of overwhelming the predators. Okay? They just yeah. literally can't, can't eat them all. And it's, it, it's, yeah. it's the same thing with rabbits. So the rabbits just explode. We have, you know, rabbits running everywhere. And, and then pretty soon you have sick rabbits everywhere. And, and then there are dead rabbits everywhere. And you're, but meanwhile, all the predators are following it. And they, they peak about two years behind. So some years... You know, I can have my, I'm allowed 22 links. I can have my 22 links in, in three checks. And mm -hmm. other years I trap the whole year and I get eight. You know what I mean? But yep. every year my, my 22 links has been my maximum number for forever and it's never changed. So quota doesn't really have a lot of value. Um, we have quota, like I say, on, on otter and fisher. Fisher was put in place. Um, the reasons for putting put, putting quota in was just crazy. Fisher was put in place. There was a study done in Pennsylvania. I don't know how much more different you could get than between Alberta and Pennsylvania. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but they 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 did some study and decided that that uh, you know that they needed to put a quota in. And, and at the same time, somebody in Alberta read the, the study, and this was back in the eighties again. And and um, this, so they put quota in place. Well, now since then, you know. Pennsylvania, the fishers are doing fantastic once again, and and quota had nothing to do with it, and and uh, you know neither did trapping. It, it was it was one of those things. You know, we've uh, have you ever heard of Elk Island Park? Elk Island Park is a federal park just outside of Edmonton. It's to the to the, the uh, east of of Edmonton. But anyway, uh, that's we, we you guys just had a bunch of American bison repatriated last couple of years down there. Yep. Yeah, they came from Elk Island Park. Okay. Really? Well, we bought them. This is back in the 1800s. Um, it was like the Cody Wild West show or something. Anyway, they had the last herd of of American purebred American bison, and and they were they they went to, went to sell them off, or or the government was going to kill them. And we bought them, and and they came here, and we had in this park. It's divided by Highway 16, which is a major highway in, in Alberta. And, and on one side is is the American bison, and the other side is the wood wood buffalo bison from, from up north. And yeah. uh, so they've kept them separate. They've, they've kept the genetics pure. And that's where when, when um, I think it was, was it the Sioux that purchased them back or got them, we gave them back to the Sioux? Was it, yeah, like, I, I think th they, yeah, they came to, it would be the... Uh, Peck Reservation up there, yeah. Yes, I think it was yeah. them. Yeah, and we 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 had the only the last purebred American bison left in the world, and and we we get, gave them back. That was that was a pretty cool thing. I was also part of the uh, of the group of people that that trapped wolves and sent them to uh, um, live trapped them and sent them to Yellow, Yellowstone. But we won't talk about that one. <laughs> hey, how much you get paid for that? I'm, 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 boy. <laughs> 
I, if you paid for that, man, you and I are going to have to. You you can be careful if I come up there and trap with you. You might conveniently fall through the ice. I was I was a trapper and I was getting paid, bud. Come on. <laughs> uh, all right, got to do what he's got to do. I know. Huh. But anyway, to get back to to um, Elk Island Park. It's all, yeah. it's surrounded, it's all fenced in and everything, of course, big high fences and everything, but it is surrounded by farmland for hundred, hundreds of miles, I, guess, I would, I would imagine. There's nothing to the south and and there's long ways before you hit any bushland to the north. There used to be fisher there. And of course it's all, you know, beaver ponds and creeks and, and uh, deciduous forests, you know, poplar, aspen forests, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a place where they originally lived uh you know there it was a, a natural habitat for them they took and imported a bunch of fisher from saskatchewan and put them back in there to repatriate uh fisher into uh, the south island national park and then here a few years ago they decided they would check see because there was lots of fisher around they would check see what happened so they started uh they trapping them and, and getting hair samples and all that to check the genome and it turned out that 98 percent of the genome was native Albertan fisher. And so they don't know where the fisher came from and they don't know what happened to the, to the Saskatchewan genome. But it just goes to show how little we know about all this, right? <laughs> well, it's interesting when you say you have a, a quota of 22 lengths, that, 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 that's the number? Yep. Your limit. It's not like you can stockpile lengths, right? So no. the, these rabbit cycles, I'm assuming, Snowshoe hare is their primary food source. Yes. So in these periods when the rabbits come up on their great big cycles, you could probably be taking 30 lengths or 40 lengths, whatever the number may be. Yep. And you aren't going to affect the lynx population. Not at all. It's really by the fact that the rabbits are going to come off their cycle and they're going to go down in the next two to three years and the lynx are going to follow behind that. So. The having that cap or that quota that you're talking about, it it really doesn't serve anything from a, a management and biological standpoint, but it does no. keep you from taking that surplus that is going to disappear when the rabbits disappear or the, the hares disappear. So why not harvest them? Well, and, and Mother Nature's Take solution it. isn't nice. Like, I mean, cats are <laughs> cats are unbelievably cannibalistic. If you own a cat, yeah. you know, if you have a cat for a pet and you ever start getting chest yeah. pains, throw the cat out the door before you take the two low-dose ab- aspirin and call 911. Because if you don't get the cat out the door before you die, you're tomorrow's fancy feast. There's just no two ways about it. And <laughs> there's that's no joke. Uh, I every year lose, lose cats to, to other cats eating them. And you know that a cat yeah. ate them because they can only eat them when they're thawed. They don't have teeth that allow them to to eat when they're when they're frozen. So sometimes, if it's hmm. really if it's a really tough winter, um, I'll catch yep. a, a cat, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, you'd be looking at it's like it looks like there's blood on its fur, and you know, yeah. you, you take and turn it over, and there is blood on its fur. What it is is then you go down, you know, the next pen that you run into a mile away or whatever, and there'll be a half eight cat there. Well, he'd been laying on the cat to try and thaw it so he could eat it some more. You know. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh, cats are huh. cats are something else altogether. But when when you take the reason that they put in the quota for lynx was yeah. during like seventy nine and eighty, lynx went off the charts. 
You know, you, yep. you have yeah. you have had links that were going for fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars, and I, I had one that went for thirteen hundred was was my best. And let me tell you, when you were a kid and you got a check for one cat for thirteen hundred dollars, you were a wealthy man. <laughs> <laughs> you know so it, it, they decided that oh my god everybody in the world was going to go after after links because they're worth so much so they put these quota in to stop it and they also then it used to be that you could on a resident license you could uh trap links well then they made it so that only registered trappers could and, and so they cut all this back what it's turned out is that we have all this quota in alberta and every year we ship less than 10 percent of that quota and and hmm. you know you you take like a situation like m my son's trap line is is much smaller it's just oh, just over a um, a township in size but there's a mountain it in, encompasses a mountain and he, I think he's allowed five or six links on it in, in, for for season and you know that's like one check for him and he's afraid to to open any more than than eight or nine pens because he will have his five in that one check you know links are covering a much bigger area than that so I mean. Yeah. you know, later that day, there's that many links back there again. But this is all stuff that's being done by people who have no connection to trapping, have no connection to the animals, no connection to what's going on. And, and you know, the, the price of links is nowhere near that anymore. We're, we're, we're not, you know, yeah. we're, you're lucky. I mean, if you're, you're averaging $150 for links, you're getting good money at that point, right? You're, lots of them are going for half that. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Well, our, our Western cats here, the Rock Intermountain, Great Basin, Rocky Mountain cats, are still holding their value quite well. It'll yeah. be interesting to see what happens with the whole world economy probably having a hiccup here, uh, how that is going to hold off. But when I was in college, I snared bobcats on my way home. I took the back roads home from <laughs> the university <laughs> to where I, I lived in this apartment, and I'd snare bobcats. and my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, she wasn't quite sure what to make of that. She <laughs> got bobcats hanging from the shower head, uh, carcasses, like with no hide on them. He's in there skinning them in his apartment. Well, it cleaned up easy. All you had to do was turn the shower on and wash all the blood down the drain. And, but then when we went to the fur auction and I averaged, which at the time in 1987 to average three or $400 a cat, she yeah. got the trapping nuts and bobcats was a pretty darn good idea. <laughs> I've, I've never got a chance to trap bobcat because we're too far north for them. And I've, I've never, here's another silly thing. I've never trapped raccoon. We're way too far north for them as well. And, and I'd like to like to do both of them. That, that sounds so cool. Yeah. Well, You'd like trapping bobcats or snaring them. Uh, coons, since they're only worth about, well, the last few that I sent to NAFA before they went wheels up, uh, they didn't even sell them. Uh, and these were big jumbo coons. And, man, they're a lot of work to flash and get all that fat and gristle off a 25-pound <laughs> big old boar coon. And then you send it up and you get $4. It's like, really? Well, so uh, you're not missing anything with the whole coon thing i get the novelty of it but yeah stick yeah. with link yeah <laughs> i still I'd like, I'd like i'd like my own you know get, get going on my own right <laughs> yeah so are you guys also on a quota for wolves no no not at all no, no. you can okay. catch them all they say that we have they say we should have 
twelve to sixteen hundred wolves in Alberta, and that we've got probably over eight thousand right now. I was gonna say twelve to sixteen hundred. I'm gonna call BS on that number. Oh yeah, no, no, no. That's that's what they say is is the proper. I mean, when you take a look at the numbers, Randy. I mean, this could go on forever because I have a mind like the, like a junk drawer and it's full of stuff. But you take a look at the numbers to support four thousand wolves. Okay, your ungulates. You need twenty thousand ungulates, so twenty thousand deer, elk, moose, to produce enough food to feed four thousand right. wolves, plus to keep their their own population self sustaining. Think about that. That's twenty thousand of them are needed to feed those four thousand before you have any that are hit by vehicles, shot by hunters, or killed yeah. by bears. That's just to feed the wolves. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So when you guys wanted wolves, and we were, are you sure you want you really you want you want alive? You want you want a dead one? Okay, we can get you dead. No, you want a live one. (laughs) Did I send you a picture of the wolf I shot last year? No. No, I hauled one in and shot it. Uh, Because when I grew up in northern Minnesota, you know, wolves never left the landscape. There, they they've always been there, and so I used to catch them in my fox and coyote traps. And you'd go get the game warden and he'd call the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officer and they'd release it if it was still alive. A lot of times what would happen, you know, the drag would get hung up in the brush and some grouse hunter would come by and boom. Yeah. And you'd walk up to it like, great, just what I need. <laughs> a dead wolf with a bunch of bird shot in it or who knows who shot it. I don't know. So I'd go get the game warden then and say, hey, uh, I did not shoot that thing. So, because back then you couldn't trap them or shoot them or hunt them or anything like that. So, uh, I I was always fascinated by them and used to howl to just get responses in December and January. I lived on uphill on the hill above the river, and I'd go down to the river and I'd just howl across the river at night. And maybe they were always there, but some nights my howling just sucked, and so they didn't respond. I think possibly what it could be is they just weren't there and that's why they didn't respond but every fourth or fifth time you'd get responses so i'm out deer hunting my wife says you know what it's your birthday you should go without cameras you haven't hunted without cameras for 12 years (laughs) (laughs) i I knew you are you're the brains in this operation so i go out there Right away in the morning, I see a wolf over on a piece of property I don't have access to hunt or permission to hunt. And I start <laughs> howling, and the thing comes like, it's going to eat me. Boom. <laughs> well, in the lower 48, if you post a picture of you and a wolf on Instagram, expect a lot of love letters, as I call them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you notice any increase uh, in, love, in love letters since uh, people have time here with the uh... – uh, being at home with the virus and all? Uh, I don't, but while you and I were talking, I just got a big uh, email notice here from uh, YouTube saying, uh, we have received a report that you have uh, uh, violated our community guidelines. We will notify you of the outcome. So really? I suspect... People don't have anything better to do than to go to my YouTube channel and say, hey, this guy is violating your community out- or community guidelines because I show them how to convert wild things into food. That's amazing. Oh, well. Yeah. That is amazing. People have. So. 
And okay. As my grandma would say, you know, get a number and stand in line because I'm kind of busy to put up with your shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Randy, I have so enjoyed this. And you know what? If the world gets back to normal, maybe Sandy and I come to do some fishing with you guys this summer. Oh, yeah. We'd love to, to do whatever. Or if ever we find our way coming to Grand Prairie, um, I'd love to catch up with you. And don't don't be surprised if I call you in December and say, hey, Rich, were you serious about that trap line thing? I'm dead serious. Nerves and she told me to go somewhere for a week. I am dead serious, and and uh, I'll mark it on the calendar. Like uh, serious, like you. I, I really, I really would like your your input. Like, I mean, that's important to me because, like I say, I, I I miss out on so much that I just don't think about what I'm doing. Right. Yeah, I think we're all that way. So. Let everybody know well, where I, they can find all your stuff, Randy. You must have some. Yeah. some uh, um, I. You know, I don't try to hide who I am. So pretty much everything I do is under Randy Newberg Hunter. And how that came about, you'll get a kick out of this, Rich. <clears throat> I have this CPA client. She could never get a hold of me in the fall in hunting season. So one time she comes to the CPA firm office. She grabs my business card and she crosses out the initials CPA. And she wrote Hunter. And she left that card on my desk. I'm like, hell, that's a, I like that way better than accountant. <laughs> So that became my business card going forward. So I'm like, all right, everything I do, Instagram, Randy Newberg Hunter, Facebook, Randy Newberg Hunter, YouTube, Randy Newberg Hunter. Um, Amazon is uh, Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. So podcasts, Hunt Talk Radio and Elk Talk Radio. So we're, we're pretty easy to find. Well, that is right Whether on. Whether good or bad. <laughs> so, i appreciate uh, it so much yeah Sorry, go ahead. i i really appreciate it rich and uh, you just need to know tell sandy that you know i had randy on the podcast and he talked a bunch of bs for two hours he said that he's holding us responsible for the demise of his marriage as a result of us convincing him there's so much money and pleasure to be found in the outdoor media world yeah i'm blaming it on you <laughs> I'm like your grandma. Take take a number and get in line. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm so thankful that you were kind enough to send me the invite and we were able to do that. Oh, I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time. This has been a wonderful time. We're gonna do it again. I'm dead serious. You're gonna have some fishing partners here this summer. <laughs> All right. All right, take care. You take care, Rich. And thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>